Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Why has Ether fallen some 20% after the merge? Will we see its price continue to head south? What needs to happen for cryptocurrency prices to stabilize? Joining me this morning is Lawrence Linker. He's CEO of the XD Academy, which is an online learning platform where members of the community receive token rewards for supporting each other on their learning journey. Lawrence, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Michelle. I'm well. All right. I'm going to start with your opinion and an overview from you. Do you think the merge, the Ethereum merge, met expectations? Do you think it lived up to the hype of the most important event of the crypto calendar this year? I, I think it absolutely lived up to that hype. And if, if I may, I'd like to take a second to just talk about what the merge really is. Because um, if you're like me, you're hearing a lot about the merge. People keep talking about it. But I noticed that when I try to talk to people about what exactly the merge is, I'm shocked by how few people really understand what took place there. So I'd like to spend just a couple minutes to talk about. Okay, and then we will come back to your opinion of why you think it lived up to the hype. Okay? <laughs> I sure I, I so will. So, so the merge, so really quick, how do blockchains run? Basically, I think most people understand that it's a distributed ledger where a bunch of these different nodes on the network, they collaborate, they work together to validate transactions and decide what uh, transactions should be added to the ledger in blocks, hence blockchain. Um, but the way that they do this can be very different. So the original blockchain, Bitcoin, said that, hey, if you're going to validate transactions on the network, we need you to have a stake, we need you to be doing some kind of investment in order to uh, be invested in the network, because otherwise it's going to incentivize you to try to hack the network or break the network or cheat in some way. And the way that Bitcoin decided to do this is say, we're going to give you a really hard math problem in a sense to solve. It's going to take a lot of computing power for you to solve. And if you show me that you have done this computing power, then we're going to give you a chance to win uh, a little bit of Bitcoin in what's called a block reward. So Ethereum, when Ethereum came out in 2015, originally used the exact same mechanism of validation, consensus uh, mechanism. But as of about a week ago now, they switched to something called proof of stake. Now, what is proof of stake? So we already said that proof of work is show me that you did the computing power, show me that you expent the resources to figure out this math problem. And then what happened was that some people said, hey, we're using all this electricity. We're making people uh, set up all these server farms and buy all these GPUs. Why not just cut out the middleman? Because people are spending Bitcoin to buy the energy or in Ethereum's case, Ethereum, to pay for the electricity that's doing this computing power. Mm. Why don't we just cut out the middleman and say, hey, just stake your Ethereum itself and we'll give you credit for having contributed to the network based on how much Ethereum you're staking. And this has been a fantastic innovation for the Ethereum network because one of the biggest complaints about crypto, particularly one that really came out uh, last year and started to really control the narrative last year, is how uh, energy-intensive uh, cryptocurrencies are. And people, the, the, the ESG movement really latched onto this as one of the major complaints about crypto. I think it's put a lot of downward pressure on the prices of, of crypto in the last few years. 
And that issue has now been completely resolved. The reduction of energy usage to run the Ethereum network is down, I think, by about 99.9%. So uh, from an energy perspective, Ethereum is very, very efficient right now. So who's paying out when you stake? Who are the validators now? Well, the validators may be the same people. It's just the way that they're offering validation is different. So instead of computing these very difficult math problems that requires a lot of CPU power, they're simply showing, hey, I have Ethereum staked on the network. And based on the amount of Ethereum that I have, I have the opportunity to receive a block reward proportional to that. I, I guess the question is who's giving out these rewards? The network itself gives out the reward. Okay. So it's algorithmic. And the network basically says, so, so like in Bitcoin's case, based on the amount of computing power you're contributing, or in Ethereum's case, based on, on the amount of ETH you stake, you can look at it as sort of like the amount of lottery tickets you have for the lottery. And then the network automatically gives out some rewards proportional to the amount of lottery tickets that you may have. Or, or better, better said, you have a chance of winning proportional to the amount of tickets that you own. So does proof of stake now lead to more centralization for Ethereum? That's, that's, a, that's a great question, Michelle. So one of the criticisms of proof of stake is that it can lead to more centralization. That's a bit, uh, it's a bit nuanced. I think that's something that's not going to happen in the short term. Hmm. But proof of stake critics will tell you that actually using uh, computers to, to uh, do proof of work creates opportunities for new entrants because computers get better and better over time. So if you're sitting there with a server farm that is, you know, contributing a lot of what's called the hash rate to the network, uh, in a few years, that server farm may be obsolete compared to the new processors that come onto the market. And so it, it sort of creates an opportunity for new entrants to have a little bit of an advantage. Whereas in the proof-of-stake network, if you have a very large pool of Ethereum that you're contributing, now you're getting more Ethereum as a reward. And as a result, some people are saying that in a few years' time, you know, we're going to start to see a lot of consolidation among people validating the Ethereum network. Right. So the merge was touted as being a real cliff event for the development of the Ethereum network. And it was expected to bring a sharp decrease in energy consumption, increased security as well. So when you say you think the merge met expectations, what do you mean? Yeah, so Michelle, let's be clear. So, so there's a lot of, uh, the merge is being given credit for a lot of things mm. that it actually hasn't <laughs> accomplished. So, so I think it's um, probably safe to say that the, the merge has not increased the security of the network. Um, a lot of people are also saying that, well, now that the Ethereum um, throughput or transaction time or, you know, the speed of the network is going to be faster post the merge, that's actually not true as well. That's going to come from future updates. But what it has done is greatly reduce the energy requirements to run the Ethereum network, which is, which is, which is in and of itself a big deal. But perhaps the bigger deal, um, Michelle, is that just the fact that they were able to get this done. Mm. So I think most of us have worked at companies where, uh, you know, they roll out some new software update, or maybe we use services, banking services, phone services, whatever, and they say, hey, we're going to turn your internet off. Starhub tells us, hey, we're going to have to have an internet disruption while we upgrade the network. Well, these guys are running a completely centralized network, and they still have to shut it down to perform certain upgrades. The Ethereum network 
actually is completely decentralized, and they were able to do this without any interruption to the network. So I think it's hard to understate what a tremendous technological achievement that was. And it's something that a lot of people were skeptical of whether or not they'd ever be able to do. They've been talking about the merge almost from the very beginning of, the, uh, of running Ethereum. It took them a long time to get it right. But I think there's some excitement now that future updates might come a little faster. As you mentioned, this is an event that's been talked about for a while. And when people look at the price action of Ethereum falling uh, by some 20% since the merge, many wonder if this is uh, a buy the rumor, sell on the news. It's a victim of, of that, buy the rumor, sell the news. Why do you think the price of Ether has gone down after the merge? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I think there's a few factors that, that are in play here. So one is that I think that confidence that the merge was going to be executed successfully mm. was probably baked in um, maybe a little bit more than, than people thought, maybe even a little bit more than it should have been, because the merge certainly could have failed. We, you know, we, we don't know. How, um, but I think confidence that the merge was going to be executed safely was, was pretty much uh, baked in. And then secondly, I think you had a lot of people who were holding Ethereum or buying Ethereum really because they were hoping for that post-merge pop and they just didn't have the patience. And as soon as it didn't happen, they, were just, they just got bored and sold their Ethereum. Probably a lot of them went back to Bitcoin or, or, or USDC. Right. So traders were expecting a short-term price increase, you think. And because they didn't see that happen, they decided to take profit. I, I think that's what happened. Do you think it's also a question of maybe increasing jitters over the U.S. suggesting that it may treat ETH as a security? That, that absolutely definitely had a factor. That's been some of the biggest news uh, of the last week. Uh, Gary Ginsburg came out and said, you know, unequivocally that he, that, you know, post-merge Ethereum is now a security. And in fact, the entire Ethereum network falls under the purview of the SEC. Um, it's a argument that is, you know, potentially a little bit creative. And I think, you know, there's going to be more to be said about that. Mm-hmm. But of course, um, this type of regulation makes people in the crypto community nervous. Uh, we don't know what effect it's going to have on our ability to, to use crypto or what obstacles it's going to put in place. So it's definitely possible that that had some, some um, effect on the price as well. And then finally, I think the reality, um, Michelle, is just mm-hmm. that it's going to be very, very hard for crypto to perform well in a sustainable way while there are so many macro conditions that are just so such a difficult macro environment globally right now. Uh, we want crypto to, to decouple from other financial markets. I think a lot of people would like to see crypto traded as a risk-off asset, but it's just not trading that way right now. It's probably many years away from, from holding that kind of a position, that kind of gold-like position in people's portfolios. Right now, people buy crypto when they feel like they have extra money and they want to take a little bit more risk. And that's just not the environment that we're in. So I think that, um, you know, for people who are hoping for a short-term recovery in crypto, I, I just don't see it happening. All right. You know... A lot of people, speaking of nerves, some say there's a lot of nerves in crypto markets because of the fear and uncertainty of tighter regulations and also tax implications if Ethereum is treated as a security instead of a a commodity. But I think if we take a step back, uh, Lawrence, what signals do you think investors could look out for that might indicate the crypto bear market is coming to an end? 
Yeah, Michelle, this is the question on everybody's mind, right? And I think uh, this is a tough one to answer. I think that the the big answer is going to be some kind of a signal that the global uncertainty in, in financial markets is turning either through some kind of fundamental improvements or through quantitative easing measures, uh, particularly from the U.S. Fed. If they decide to make a pivot and uh, stop uh, caring about inflation and care more about recession, I think that's very likely to, to be a turning point. And then the other, the other possibility, back in the early days of Bitcoin in 2013, we saw an event where the Cyprus government uh, actually seized people's assets right out of the bank account. Cyprus is going through some, some tremendous financial difficulties, and the government actually uh, took money right out of people's bank accounts. So people went to their bank accounts, and they found that uh, the government literally had taken like 25% of people's deposits over a certain amount. And this is something that has you know, upset a lot of people tremendously, as you can imagine. It's not something we can see happening in, in, in Singapore. Right. But you can imagine that you go to your, your, you know, you put your ATM card and you find that 25% of your money is gone. I think this really awakened in people the idea that, hey, I don't control my money in the way that maybe I would like to. Are there alternatives that would allow me to have more control over my money? And this created a tremendous amount of interest in Bitcoin, which had already been around for a few years at that time. But it really was probably one of the levers that grew Bitcoin a lot from that point. It's not clear if something like that can happen in today's environment. But if you look at some of the challenges that are being faced globally, particularly with regards to sanctions and Russia, it's not impossible that something like this could happen. And I think that would have a very, very big effect, independent of a global macro recovery. That is very interesting. You're referencing the Cypriot um, banking crisis back in 2013 when we did see people basically losing what they had in the bank because savings were confiscated to protect Cyprus's banking system and, and the link there to Bitcoin. Very interesting link there. But, you know, in terms of what we're seeing with Ethereum, how important is this layer two solution really to Ethereum's possibilities post-merger moving forward? Yeah, I think that layer twos are, are definitely getting more and more interesting. One of the biggest complaints about a lot of the cryptocurrencies is that, I mean, something like the merge, right? It's, it's very, very difficult. It takes tremendous coordination among a lot of people who are, tend to be very opinionated and, and um, they're not easy to change their minds. To do something like that on what's called the layer one, the base blockchain, is, is often very difficult. So what's happening more is we're seeing what we call these layer two solutions, which are sort of like chains that are, get built on top of other blockchains mm-hmm. and, then stay, and then solve some of the problems that the layer one solutions maybe, you know, don't uh, solve. So I think that in the next couple of years, we're going to see an explosion of layer two solutions that really increase the usability of some of the different blockchains. And I think this is so important because... For those of us that are looking for sustained growth in crypto, we have to bring more users onto the network, and we have to increase the usability of these networks. I think they're great. They're, it's, a, it's a phenomenal technology, but ultimately, you know, usability is going to drive long-term growth. So now that the merge has happened, what's next for Ethereum? <laughs> well, the merge is actually, well, yeah, I mean, look, it's a fair, it's a fair question. It's, it's a little bit uh, impatient, <laughs> perhaps. But, uh, 
you know, the, the reality of I guess, the what are you feeling on the ground, you know, with, with people that you speak with? I, I think people are really disappointed in the, in the price, for, uh, you know, price action mm-hmm. from the merge. But, I, you know, I wish I could say I was surprised. Um, like I said earlier, I just don't think, you know, any kind of a, a sustained recovery is available for us just yet. Yeah, but, but to answer your question, there is actually exciting things on the horizon. So the merge is actually uh, part one of a five-part development plan for uh, Ethereum. Mm. And, and the one coming up next is called The Verge. And this is the one that I think is actually even more important than The Merge. Because The Merge is really done to address the energy inefficiency uh, complaint about right. the Ethereum network. Mm-hmm. But a bigger complaint for people that really use Ethereum is how expensive it can be to use and how slow it can be. So uh, anyone that uses Ethereum has had to deal with, at times, transaction fees that, you know, we say, hey, this is going to be the money of the future. Why is it costing me 50 bucks to do uh, a $500 transaction? It's just not. It's, it's not a suitable replacement to the traditional financial system. But The Verge has the potential to change that. I think a lot of the network speed and scalability that people, a lot of people think happened with the merge, and maybe are, are coming to find out, didn't happen, <laughs> are going to get that with The Verge, which is coming next, and potentially coming sooner than people think. Because I think that the fact that the, the merge was able to happen so quickly suggests to me that maybe the next steps, which are all being worked on in parallel, by the way, they're not totally sequential, I think are going to come faster than people expect. Really interesting to hear about the future of the planned upgrades. And wonderful to speak with you as well, Lawrence. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks so much, Michelle. Lawrence Linka, CEO of XD Academy there. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.